When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, and sometimes you just feel like the pain will never go away. But I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life with meaning and purpose. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. Good morning, podcast listeners. I have Victoria Moore joining us this week, and Victoria's husband, Marcus, took his own life in 2019, so not that long ago, but Victoria was kind enough to come on today to tell us all about her experience, so thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here. And for being here. Oh, my goodness. And I want to just dive right in because there is a lot that we are going to talk about today. (laughs) So... Tell us about Marcus. Tell us about your husband and what was going on with him that started around January of 2019. So um, my husband Marcus and I, we had been married for almost 11 years. Um, And prior to me meeting him, I knew that he had struggled with depression. And when we were together in our relationship, there wasn't really a whole lot that I saw. Um, in fact, a lot of people made comments of just how happy he was with me and, um, he wasn't taking any medication, nothing. He had been taking, I guess, prior when he was in college. So about January of 2019, um, I just kind of started noticing the shift. He seemed a lot more, just depressed. Um, and so I had kind of talked to him about it. I asked him what was going on and I thought that it just had to do with his job. Mm -hmm. He was very unhappy at his job. Um, just had a lot of, (sighs) a lot of changes. Um, never really felt consistent, never really felt settled. He was an elementary school teacher and, um, here in California, they would, a lot of the teachers, um, newer teachers would get pink slips, get laid off. He would have to uh, change schools a lot. He never consistently taught the same grade. It was a different grade every year. And so there was just kind of a lot of changes for him, which um, I, I thought was hard for him to deal with. So I thought he was experiencing kind of like a situational depression. And 
when one morning he was getting ready to go to work and I kind of saw him sitting on the edge of the bed, I would go every morning, I would like make his lunch and make his tea and get him all ready to go to work. And so when I walked into the bedroom, he was kind of just sitting there with his head in his hands. And I, I had asked him, you know, what's going on? And he said, can I be honest with you? And I said, well, yeah, of course, I'm your wife. I hope that you could be honest with me. Um, and he told me that he had had thoughts of suicide, that when he drove to work in the mornings, that he would look for good places to crash to make it look like an accident. And I was shocked because I knew that he kind of was unhappy with his job, but I didn't know that he was having thoughts of taking his life. Yeah. I had no clue until he said that. And so yeah, that's kind of how it started. So immediately you said, okay, we, we need to do something about this. Yes. You went right away to... Yeah, we, we went to the ER right away. Actually, okay. I had um, dropped my kids off. Um, I homeschool. I've been actually homeschooling for seven years. So it was, I guess, about five years then. But my kids would do on-site classes twice a week. And that happened to be one of the days that they had their on-site classes. So um, I went and I dropped them off at school and I immediately took him to the emergency room. And the reason why I did that is we had a neighbor whose 18 year old son took his life about probably about six weeks before all of this started happening. Oh my God. And so, yeah, I knew from her experience that getting, getting a meeting with like a psychiatrist takes about six to eight weeks. And so in her situation, they had an appointment for her son. Um, it was eight weeks out and by week six, he had taken his life. Oh, so God. it was, oh gosh, it was so <laughs> sad. And so I had kind of seen the signs in my husband. And so I guess for some reason, I mean, call it my intuition. Um, I just kind of, for some reason, knew that that was a loophole, that if I took him to the emergency room, that he would get to see somebody quicker than the six to eight weeks, because I didn't want to have what happened to us or happened to her, you know, I don't want that to happen to us. So yeah, we went straight to the emergency room. And so they, did they, did they admit him or how did that, how does that work? I mean, and he was totally willing to go. Like he was like, I really, I really need help. Yeah, he he wanted to get help. Um, yeah. So basically what happens is um, you get to talk to like a social worker. And from there, I had asked her, I said, well, what's, how can we get to see somebody sooner? He needs to talk to somebody sooner um, than waiting the six to eight weeks through insurance. Because we had already at that point had kind of reached out to insurance and they said, okay, well, you know, this is as soon as you can get an appointment. And to me, that's just shocking, just how, how broken our mental health system is and how if somebody is needing help, how they have to wait that long. Right away you need help. I mean, exactly. you're asking for it. Exactly. So, oh yeah. So then um, basically what happened is they said, well, the soonest, you know, if you want to see a psychiatrist sooner, you're going to have to voluntarily admit yourself into basically the psychiatric ward. Um, and so he did, because again, he wanted to get help. He was willing to do what he needed to do to get help. Yeah. So he was in there for about, I think, like two days. I think he had to do it for like 48 hours. Okay. Um, and then I was able to pick him up. And so that basically got him in with a doctor right away, got him on okay. medication right away. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, here we are doing all the things that you're supposed to do to help somebody who is having suicidal ideations. Um, and yeah, we had just after that, he had had a doctor can I ask you a question though about like, okay, so he's, he was in there for the 48 hours or whatever it is. And then you go to pick him up. 
So at that point, I think you and I talked about this a little bit, but you kind of felt like a, a caregiver at that point because oh, you're like, you're, you have to watch and, and make sure that medication is being taken and all that stuff. How involved were you with the planning of treatment and things like that? Like, were you just kind of relying on him to tell you what he was supposed to be doing? Like, how does that well, work? Well, I would go with him to every doctor appointment because okay. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be there and be involved and be helping him and make sure that he was doing what he needed to be doing. Okay. So I would go with him to every doctor appointment. Um, in my opinion, the doctor was more concerned with, with having him on medication rather than really doing any sort of like therapy or anything like that. And so I had even asked the doctor like, well, what else should we be doing? And he was like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, should he be doing meditation? Should he be doing journaling? Should he be going to, you know, um, like a group counseling? Should he be talking to somebody more than just these appointments every couple of weeks? And um, fortunately for myself, I had trained under a clinical psychologist for about a year prior to this. So I knew a bit about emotional health and emotional well-being, um, but I know about it more from like a natural holistic my, you know, standpoint. Yeah. Not so much the medication part. So um, when I was talking to the doctor, he was just like, oh, you know, well, sounds like you got it covered. And I really just kind of felt like it was very much dumped on me yeah. in a sense. Yes. Yeah. A person that doesn't know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. That's crazy. So the medication in, in his mind was just supposed to fix everything. Pretty much. Pretty much. But then you, <laughs> you guys, you, you were both kind of concerned too, because there is a worry that some of the medication that you, you take for depression actually does cause suicide. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A that, lot of them, yeah. a lot of the uh, psychotropic drugs, that is one of the side effects on them is that it can cause suicidal thoughts. Um, and so that was something that we were kind of mindful of. And so he had actually been on maybe three or four different ones. Cause he just said, he's like, they make me feel weird. Okay. Okay. He had switched. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So you did try because you, you knew, um, with your background, you had like the journaling and the other things, like you did try some other things or, I mean, as much as you could talk to him about doing these other things like yeah as much I mean one thing that I realize is especially for men um they don't want to be seen as weak they don't want to be vulnerable and so it's very hard for them to truly open up so I was trying to do some of the work that I knew how to do um that I'd worked with other people who were struggling with PTSD and things like that but he had a really hard time kind of opening up to me and I realized after when I did more research that that's very common that it would have been better. I mean, like I said, he was already seeing somebody, but I didn't think that the emotional work was being done as much as it should have been. And so I probably should have found him another practitioner. I think maybe it would have been better for him, but in the moment he didn't want to work with anybody. And so then I realized, yeah, later on that it's, it's hard for them to work with somebody so close to them because they have to get real vulnerable and it, it makes them feel weak and it's hard for them. So but he wasn't, so Marcus wasn't, you know, acting out in any kind of way, like anger or anything weird like that. It was just, he was just tired all the time. Or He was tired all the time, just very just sad, sad, very withdrawn. He didn't like to 
do the same activities that he was doing before. Um, he pretty much just wanted to lay in the bedroom with the blinds closed. And like, if I would let him be there all day, he would. And okay. I would try to get him like, Hey, you know, let's go for a walk. Let's go have lunch. Let's, you know, get out and do something to, you know, yeah. kind of get him to be active and just not sitting in a dark room for yeah. every day. And you never thought that he would go through with it. Never. I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't. I mean, he had said that he had the thoughts. Um, and I just assumed that was not, I don't want to say a cry for help because he, he was opening up and he was being truthful. He was having these, these thoughts. But I thought because we were doing all the things that we were supposed to do, that eventually yeah. it would get better over time. Um, and it didn't. I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you. How to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, I have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10-step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. Well, tell us about the, um, the, the night that, that everything happened. If you can tell us however much you want to tell us. Yeah. So, um, it actually happened early in the morning, but the day prior, um, we, we had just been like fighting, arguing, nothing major, nothing like huge, like, but I was just, I don't know. I had this weird sense and I kept telling him, I feel like something's wrong. Like something's not right. And I was just very kind of angry with him. Um, and then the next morning we woke up and kind of got in another fight. Um, basically what it had to do with was we had a gun in the house for protection. Um, and I had hid it from him weeks prior when all of this stuff started happening. And so we were actually, we were getting ready to move out of San Diego. We were going to be moving the following week. And so when I went to go through some things, I noticed that it wasn't there anymore. And so I knew that he had found it. And so I had to tell him, you know, I, I'm scared. I'm scared that you're going to hurt yourself. I don't know. I don't want you to hurt me or the kids. Um, because I really feel like when someone's not in their right mind, you don't know what they're going right. to do. Right. And so it was, it was very, very scary for me. And so I, I had to tell him, you know, I need you. I, I don't want to call the police. I don't want to get them involved. But if you don't give this to me, I'm going to have to do that because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Yeah. And so we actually, the place that we lived in at a time, at the time had a detached garage. And so I guess he had had it in the garage. And so we walked out there to get it. And the whole time in my head, I'm thinking, girl, you better be careful because you don't know what is going to happen. Like, you know, it was a very, 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 very scary. My kids were asleep at the time. It was probably like 530 in the morning. Had you felt, um, had you felt that way before? Like, like your life was threatened or whatever that feeling no you just this was the first time you were like okay first time i I need to something wasn't right oh yeah i just i just knew something wasn't right yeah and so it's like you don't know what you're walking into right yeah so um yeah we went in there and he 
pulled it out and um, didn't like point it at me or anything, but he cocked it and he just said, I don't want to live anymore. And I said, please don't do this. Like, we love you very much. And then I ran out of the garage because I didn't know what was going to happen. And then that's when the gun went off and um, I turned around and I saw him and then I went back in the house and locked the door and I'm in complete shock and I'm calling 911 and I'm trying not to wake up my children because I didn't want them to kind of see what was going on. Oh yeah. Um, and so, yeah, then I, you know, I had to call the police and wait for them to come. Luckily my parents lived only a couple miles away and his brother and sister-in-law lived not too far either. And so I called them immediately after and was like, I need, I need you guys here. I need, I need people to be here with me. I needed somebody to um, take my kids out of the house. So like my dad, I just basically looked at him and said, please get my babies out of here. Please take them to your house. My mom sat there with me while we had to go through, you know, all the questioning from the police and did all the, the things. Did the police get there first or did your parents get there first? The police got there first. Okay. They got there very, very quickly. They got there probably within like a matter of minutes. And then his brother too. I mean, they were, mm-hmm. they were there pretty quickly. Yeah. Did you tell, you told his, you told his brother on the phone, like what had happened? Well, I told my sister-in-law, she had answered. I called her cell phone. Did you just say, you need to get over here right away? Or did you say? I just said, oh my God, Marcus is dead. I need you here right now. And they were like, what? My sister-in-law was like freaking out. And I was just like, I need to get off the phone, but that's what happened. And you need to come over. Okay. Okay. I didn't know how that, I didn't know how that conversation, you know, played out. Yeah. But okay. So everybody's there. You had your dad take the kids. Mm-hmm. Um was your family kind of aware of how bad things were with, no. with him or okay. No. I didn't tell them a whole lot. I mean, they knew that he was going through depression. He was on leave from work. So like everybody knew that. Um, but no, they didn't know how bad it was. I was just that's, and that's the whole stigma I think with mental health, right? Is yes. you don't want to truly share that there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of, you know, what am I doing wrong or what could I be doing differently? Yeah. And so I wasn't completely truthful with my friends and family. His family knew. Yeah. His parents knew his brother and uh, sister-in-law knew, but my side of the family, I didn't share just how bad it was. Okay. So they were just completely in shock. Oh yeah. I guess nobody, I guess nobody was expecting him to go to that extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even his family knowing that he had that history, but yeah. Um, so yeah, you talked about these, these stigmas and, and feeling shame and things like that. But when you and I had talked the other day, we talked about um, suicide prevention and how you said that that is, something that comes up regularly or don't they have a suicide prevention I guess yeah there's like suicide prevention month and day and all the yeah there's a lot yeah there's a lot around suicide prevention around suicide and I'm very torn with it because I do think that you can help people who are in you know dark times however I don't know that you could truly prevent suicide and I think that when you talk about it a lot, it, it can leave the survivors feeling like they did something wrong, that there's yes. something more that they could have done. Or they should have done already... something more. And exactly. all these things that you had done, I mean, it's like you said, they have this 
the thought is in their mind. It's already set. Yeah. He has all it takes. He has you, he has Mm -hmm. the world in front of him and, and still it's not enough. It's not enough. And that's the thing. I think that, you know, and sometimes people might get mad at me for this, but I think if somebody truly has that in their head, there's not enough love and there's not enough Jesus. You know, if, if they are really wanting to take their life, they're going to do it regardless of if there's a gun in the, I mean, look at, he had been saying he was going to do it with his truck. Like he was going to, you know what I'm saying? So I think that if they, if they have that in their mind, all it takes is a moment of despair with a moment of opportunity to just make a life changing decision. And that's just something that I truly believe. And like I said, I think that you can help somebody who's with a dark time in a dark time. Um, but the whole term suicide prevention, I think leaves the survivors feeling like they didn't do enough. And you already have that additional guilt and shame on top of it. (laughs) I know, I know. And you said, ultimately it's their life to take. I mean, it's their, it is their choice. And if nothing's going to pull them out of that. Yeah. I, I, when you said that the other day, it really, it really hit a nerve too. Like I had never thought about, you know, that whole suicide prevention and I I don't know. I just, the word prevention, it would really put a lot on that survivor. That It does. It puts a lot of additional stress. Yeah. Um, So you were talking about all of the feelings, of course, like guilt and shame and anger. and, And I said that, you know, you feel shame because you think it's your fault. Um, and then I asked you if there's, if anyone had ever said anything to you about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and what did some of the, some people say to you, like somehow not blaming you to your face, but I mean, what, what were some of the comments and things that people have said? Well, I had um, a guy at the post office, actually, he had asked me what happened. I told him, you know, that my husband, um, he died by suicide. And he was like, Oh, he was like, well, couldn't you do anything? Couldn't you do anything to stop him? (laughs) And here I am, you know, it's like two weeks after I'm standing in the post office, I'm trying to keep it together. And I just looked at him and I was like, you have no idea how hard, like everything that I did for the guy at the post office, some random guy, random, (laughs) random Like, I don't even know how it came up. It was just like, so weird. Like all of a sudden we were sitting there and he's like, what does your husband do? And I was like, what? Yeah. He's like, what does your husband do? I'm like, well, my husband's dead. And he started asking all these questions and yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, thanks. Can I just mail off this package? <laughs> I mean, how does that even come up? That's what I'm like. I, I would sometimes wonder like these people that just come come up to you like out of nowhere it's like why why did that have to happen today why I- <laughs> it's the weirdest thing and it just comes out of the blue and all of a sudden you're just like wait did I, am I am I making this up like is this part of the nightmare is this part of the dream that I'm stuck in it's like the 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 brain glitch that you said that people just like uh, there's no filter I don't know and especially when people ask oh how did he die that one I'm yeah. just kind of like I, I don't feel like I know you well enough to answer that question, really. <laughs> exactly. It's, and you know, it could be very personal. And why do you think that somebody wants to sit there and talk about that at that moment? Unless they are talking to you about it. Like random people that, yeah. you, that you don't know. I mean, they find out that your husband, oh, how did he die? Um, 
I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. His heart stopped. Like he's not alive anymore. Like, yeah, it's really weird. People just get really nosy. Um, and they get very, they have no filter. <laughs> no, I think I told you those, there was a lady that was, I was, at, um, I have a rental house and I was over there doing some work and I was pulling weeds or something like that. I don't remember what I was doing. I was walking to the mailbox and she just drove up. She put, she stopped right in front of the house and she rolled down the window and she was like, do you, do you own this house? And I said, yeah. And she was like, did your husband die? I mean, I'm just like having a day, you know, like to myself, like trying to like take care of the house. And then like, yes, he did. Thank you. Thanks for the reminder. We're talking about that. I totally forgot. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, did, did one of his friends, what did one of his friends say to you about going to the funeral? Wasn't there something like a comment from a friend? That's the other thing, like family and friends. Did anybody, anybody really close to you say anything or treat you differently or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So one of his friends, um, one time he came up to me and this was after the celebration of life and everything. And he said, well, I didn't go to the celebration of life because I don't agree with what he did. And so I didn't want to condone it. And I said to him, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, can I let you in on a little secret? And he was like, what? I'm like, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. The celebration of life and the funeral is to support the family who just lost their husband, their father, you know, it being there doesn't mean that, oh yes, great job. I'm so happy he did that. That's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. So being there doesn't mean that you are supporting suicide and that you're thinking that it's a great idea or something. It doesn't mean that at all. You're there to support the family and friends who are grieving. Um, One thing that I noticed during this whole process, this whole journey is how some people who you think would be there as your support system completely disappear, just completely disappear. I have family members who, and on my side of the family, not even like on his side of the family, on my side of the family, who I was very close with growing up, everything. um, I got a text the day of, sorry for your loss. And I have not heard from them since. They have never called to check on me and my kids. They just basically disappeared. Yeah. And then there's other people who I never really thought would be there for support who completely stepped it up and would drop off groceries and brought my kids activities and invite us over for dinner and check on us often. And it was people that prior to this, I wasn't that close with. And so it's just kind of weird to see who's truly there on this journey. Right. That is weird. I mean, and that's your family that's Mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah. I mean, I could see, like I said, I could see if it was from his side of the family and maybe there was, you know, blame or, you know, whatever they felt weird. But no, it was like my side of the family. And so I was very strange, very strange. That is so, so strange. I don't, I don't get that. I do not get that. No. And it's very hurtful and, you know, like it's very, but then I just think that it's very eye opening and it just kind of truly shows you that you know, the, the right people come into your life at the right time and the ones who aren't worth your energy, kind of the trash takes itself out sometimes. So that's a good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) Might be a little rough, but no, it's so true. 
Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, so switching gears here a little bit. So you told me that his sign is butterflies. Yes. So how did it get so to be I have butterflies? A butterfly tattoo. Okay. Yeah, okay. I got that. He hated tattoos and I hated suicide. So we both made life-changing decisions. Mine was a little bit less extreme. When did you get your tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> when did um, you get your tattoo? Like a couple months or no, a couple, well, maybe, yeah, maybe two months after. Okay. Eight weeks after. Um, and the reason why butterflies were assigned was I think it was like, I think it was two days after he had passed. And I was like still in shock. Like I had hardly even cried like those two days. I kept feeling like a horrible wife because I was just, you know, just still <sighs> completely in shock. Mm-hmm. And so I was at my mom's because we ended up staying there afterwards um, for a couple months. And so I was sitting there and I was like, okay, I'm like, if you're really here, like I want to see butterflies. So then I sat there and stared out the window, hoping to see butterflies. And I didn't see any at that time. And so then I hopped on my phone. I hopped on Facebook. And literally, as I'm scrolling, like every single post was either a picture of a butterfly or the word butterfly, or it was just like all of these like butterfly things in my feed. Yeah. And so um, all the time, like the other day, we were at the grocery store and my daughter was like, oh, look at all the butterflies. And I was like, what? And we were in the frozen food aisle and on every single door, there's probably like 12 doors, um, there was butterflies drawn in the condensation. And we were like the only ones in the aisle. It was on that every single door. Crazy. And my daughter just noticed it right away. And so I was like, oh, I'm like, well, your dad's here. Say hi. <laughs> that is crazy. How does that happen? Yeah. I mean, really? I, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's the thing. I could see if somebody like opened up to get, you know, like a bag of peas and then they just want a butterfly. <laughs> but it was literally on every single door on both sides. And it was just crazy. That so. is crazy. I yeah. love that though. So yeah. you got your permanent butterfly. Yes. <clears throat> um, so other strange things that we have got to talk about <laughs> your <laughs> Your interview that you did, which was not that long ago, right? When was this? Just it was like um, a month ago? No, it was like last week. <clears throat> oh, it was just last week? Well, wait, when was okay. it? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the 24th. Oh my God. Okay. So yeah, not that long ago. What yeah. happened <laughs> What happened during that interview? And I, I'm, I swear, I'm going to pull it up and play it. It's crazy. Oh my goodness. Okay. So tell... So- yeah. yeah, we, um, I was recording an interview with another widow, um, Karen Sutton in the UK. And there was, I think about 11 minutes, I think it was, what happened at 1122, but I always tell people to go to the video and rewind it to 1130 because it's shortly after that. So when there's 1130 left in there, um, shortly after that, I heard, I just heard my husband's voice say like whisper, I'm sorry, but like loudly. And I was like, during the interview, I kind of stopped like, am I going crazy? Did I just hear that? Like, holy moly. You know, here I am sharing my, my suicide story and all that. And um, I kind of forgot about it. Like when I got off the interview, I went and like made my kids lunch and just kind of went about my day. But every day after that, I kept thinking about it. And then I'm like, yeah. did that really happen? So then <laughs> I got some time one night and I put in my earbuds and I was playing it and I heard it again, clear as day. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, oh my God. Yeah. It was, yeah. I'm going to try and pull this up here. So you said that was at what time? So if you go to 1130, it's like right after it's like at 1122 left in the video. Okay. And, and she said she didn't hear that. No, she said she thought it was her Siri on her Apple watch. 
Did you make a face? Yeah, you'll kind of see my eyes kind of get big and I kind of froze up and I almost said something, but I didn't want to be like the crazy widow. And <laughs> This was at 11. Okay, so put it on 1130. Yeah, with okay. 1130 left in the video. Okay, does that yeah, sound right about here. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Helped and wasn't see. kind of in this space at, at that point. Um, but I think it's just, it's, you know, it's I'm a sorry. mindset choice almost, isn't it? Of, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. So I don't know. She thinks it was her. No. Album. I don't. I'm like, no. no. Even my kids were like, that was dad's voice. And I was like, not mm-hmm. Siri in mm-hmm. any form. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. Oh my God. I played that. I got chills. I said, Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that happened like a day or two before the whole butterfly thing. So he's been, I guess, very active. Oh. This yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that's comforting too, right? I mean, oh God, I can't you you had the voice. Yeah. Just- I know. Yeah. It's comforting. I mean, I'm still, I'm still very much angry about the whole situation. And, you know, like, like I said, with suicide, there's so many emotions because you feel the guilt, you feel the shame, you feel the anger, you feel the sadness. Um, And so, yeah, I I go back and forth to it. It it is comforting. Um, I do know he's sorry because after his passing, I had three different mediums and three different areas that did not know each other who came to me with basically the same message from him. Um, and so, like I said, that's how I know it's a moment of opportunity mixed with a moment of despair. It, yeah. You know, he didn't, he didn't want to end his life. He wanted to end his pain. What was the messages from the mediums? Um, just basically, you know, that he was sorry that he, you know, he, he basically regretted the decision. Um, that again, you know, it was just a moment of despair mixed with a moment of opportunity. Um, and then, that I was going to find love again and that he was going to pick my new man. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, oh. And they all said that. They like, all said it. They, <laughs> they all said it. And I was just like, okay, like, he's been dead, like, not even a week. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, oh, that's funny, though. I mean, he's, he's, he wants to be involved in... <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 And picking out, you know, a good father figure figure for his children and you know, Oh my God. But to yeah. hear that, I mean, to hear that so soon, you're just kind of like, what? Yeah. I was like, I can't even begin to even think <coughs> no. about that, you yeah. know? Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I was 37 years old when it happened. So, I mean, obviously I would hope that I would find love again and, you know, move forward, but you're not really thinking about it five days after. <laughs> no, it's kind of the last thing well, on your mind. Let's go back to the the time of the um when he said I'm sorry in that video that was 11:22. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of numerology things significant things in that. Yeah. Did you say that 22 was his number like his number or 22 was like his favorite number his and favorite so number. it was okay. like his favorite number. Um and right after he passed we saw 22 everywhere. So actually uh, the coroner that came to the house, she gave me a card and there was a number 22 on there. Like, I guess they have numbers. I did not know that. And so I looked at it and I was like, wait, what? what? 22. The fire truck had 22 on it. Like (gasps) all these like weird, like 22s. And so 222 comes up a lot for me. 22. Yeah. Like 
Yeah. We see 22s everywhere. And so when I shared that video actually on my Instagram, somebody said, oh, you know, it was at 1123. And I was like, really? And I I didn't even like check the timestamp. And I was like, huh, I'm surprised he didn't do it at 1122 because 22 was his number. And they went back and they came back and they're like, oh my gosh, it was at 1122. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, an 11 is a prime number of 22 and one yep. and one is two. And yep. so um, I, so oh, girl, I, I looked it no up. Doubt. I looked yeah. it up because I was like, okay, 222 or 22. And what is the meaning behind that? I mean, that was his number, but I mm-hmm. had to look it up because it's, it's just too crazy. So it's a master number and it's powerful powerful energy is meant to connect us to the spiritual plane and help us find purpose in our existence. That's what it told me when I looked at it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a powerful angel number number. And like I said, I see 22. I mean, it's like, whenever I look at the clock, it's like 322, 122, 422, wow. like 22, 22, 22. My phone's always on 22%. Like <laughs> I see just 22s everywhere. Yeah. It's crazy. It also said, okay, so it channels cosmic wisdom down to earth and uses it to turn, wait, uses it to turn incredible dreams into reality. Ooh. So that's a nice thought. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's um, talk about this story with you taking off your ring because I, I always ask people, you know, at what point did you feel ready to take off your wedding ring? And, um, and I want you to tell us about your experience <laughs> with taking off your ring. Yes. So, um, I actually took my ring off pretty early. I would say it was maybe eight or 10 weeks out. Um, and I really did not plan on taking it off that early. I had gone to, there is camp widow, um, mm-hmm. and they do it in San Diego every year. And so that happened to be six weeks after, my husband's passing. Um, and I live in San Diego and so it was close. And so we went Perfect. and in one of the workshops, they, it was talking, you know, talking about that, like, you know, when are you ready to take off your ring? When should you do it? And you know, all of these things. And so it was shortly after the conference, like maybe like a day or two after. And I just decided to take my ring off and see if I could, if it would maybe fit on another finger, not really planning to take it off yet, but just kind of like, I was just bored and I was just like messing around. So I put it on my finger and it got stuck and it got like really stuck and like my fingers started swelling and my dad was trying to help me get it off and I couldn't get it off. And my finger, I felt like was going to explode. Yeah. So I'm crying and I'm telling my dad, you need to take me to the fire department so that they can help me get this thing off. So he takes me to the fire department and I'm just like a bawling crying mess. Like they could not even understand what I was saying. My dad basically had to like translate from like, just, I, I couldn't even like, I was like, Oh, my Rira. so they were trying to help me with everything. They had like the soap, they did the floss, like basically all the things that we had tried at home yeah. um, and nothing was working. And so they're like, well, we're going to have to cut it off. Oh my God. And I'm Wait, like, so fl- floss is one of the ways that you try and like, you put, mm-hmm. Okay, so you put it on there and then you try You can and- like wrap it, like, I don't know, oh. I saw it on like YouTube and like you stick it in and you wrap the floss around and then it's supposed to slide over the floss. Okay. And literally nothing was working. And my finger okay. was bright purple. I thought it was, oh my God. Expl- it was like, it was really stuck. Like it was, if it was just like kind of stuck, I would have just like <laughs> left it there. It, no, my <laughs> finger was like going to have to be removed. Like it was that bad. It was very extreme. So... Um, they basically had to cut my ring, but because it was platinum, they had to cut it in multiple pieces to get it off my finger. 
And how so do they here- even cut? How do they even do that? Like, how do they even cut it without cutting you? Like, I, I got actually a little cut on my finger from it because, like, that's how on there it was. Oh, my God. Yeah, they had, like, I don't know, these little, like, I don't know, these cutters. And so here I am crawling around on my hands and knees at the fire department, picking up these pieces of platinum from my ring because platinum's expensive. Yes. Um, and, it, and it's my wedding ring and I'm just crying. And they're looking at me like, oh my gosh, this girl's lost it. And I did. Yeah, I you lost lo- it. I was losing <laughs> it. So then I had to take it to the jeweler. And so I just decided when I was at the jeweler, just make it fit on the finger that it originally got stuck on so that I could just maybe move forward and not wear it as I could still wear it, but not necessarily on my wedding finger. Yes. So yeah, I wasn't necessarily trying to take it off that soon, but. So, <laughs> so you did have it put back together. Yes. And then you didn't really wear it after that though. I still kind of wear it every once in a while. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll wear it like, I mean, cause it's a beautiful ring. I love it. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously yeah. I'm like, I'm saving it for my daughter when she is older. Okay. Um, but yeah, sometimes <clears throat> if I want a little bling, I'll throw it on, but yeah, I don't wear it like on my wedding finger anymore. It won't okay. even fit there anymore. Cause I had to get it resized. Right. <laughs> oh my God. That was not the story that I was expecting when you told me. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So you did start dating pretty early. I did. Um, when, when was that first, when did you start dating? It was probably about three, three and a half months after. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was, you know, a lot of it was, I was, you know, I was feeling lonely. I was, you know, kind of wanting some male companionship. Um, but I was also just kind of very angry, you know, like he left me. Yeah, he made, It was his decision. If it wasn't for that, I would still be fulfilling my vows. And so I didn't mind oh, I to- moving I forward. I totally get that. I would be, yeah, like it's, you're doing it out of spite. Like, mm-hmm. well, you don't want to be with me. So yeah, I'll find somebody else does does. or I'll just, yeah. yeah. I, so I, I probably should have let myself heal a little bit more, um, but I didn't. That was part of my journey. And Yeah. So you didn't, um, well, so your family kind of knew about that, that first one. They kind of, yeah, they kind of knew about it. I mean, I, so he just, he, we, nothing really came to fruition with that. We just kind of went out a couple of times. Um, and even when I did start dating, like I didn't, I, I wouldn't really tell people I was going on dates. I would kind of make up excuses. Um, and because I just think everybody's very, you know, out of concern. They want you to heal and, you know, not get, not get involved with somebody who's going to take advantage of the vulnerable state that you're in. Um, And it's just, you know, it's a scary world out there. And when you're kind of in that widow fog and you're not thinking clearly, a lot of people, you know, will have concern. So yeah, I wouldn't really tell anybody. I would, um, you know, say I was going out with some girlfriends or, you know, I mean, I would tell like some friends I would tell them because obviously for safety reasons, I wasn't just like going out and like meeting random dudes and like not telling people where I was. Um, but yeah, as far as like family and stuff, I wasn't that open about it. Now, when I started seeing somebody after a while, I would tell them, you know, Hey, I'm seeing this guy. But when I was just like going and like meeting like guys to go like have a drink or have dinner or whatever, I wasn't. I thought it was so funny when you told me that like you, you know, you have your kids 24 seven. So this, you have to plan 
accordingly and you have to really um, squeeze everything into a certain time frame that you have a babysitter available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so I would have, I would have like five or six dates in a row. Like I'd be like, I'm meeting this person for coffee, this person for lunch, this person for a drink where I'm going to go on a hike with this person. And it was exhausting. It was so, and I would do that like maybe like once a week, I'd have like four or five dates. <laughs> I thought that was so funny because I'm like, I totally get it. I mean, if you have if you have somebody to watch the kids, if you don't, you're paying for a babysitter. You're paying like fifteen dollars an hour, so yeah. it, it better be worth it. And you have to have, like have, have the coffee date lined up, and then go right after that, go have lunch, and then you go like yeah, go for so a would, like, makeup. I mean, I'll like, call it like date day. Like yeah. that's so funny. What app did you did you use? <clears throat> um, I used Hinge. And that was the only one that you did? Um, I did that one. And what's the other one? I think Bumble, maybe. Bumble, okay. Yeah, I think those were the only two that I did. Um, and then I had like a couple of friends that like would, you know, set me up with, oh, I have this guy, you should go out with him. And yeah, um, but yeah, Hinge and Bumble, Bumble were the two dating apps that I did. I liked Hinge better though. Okay, well, because that's where it? I met my boyfriend. What was about, what was it about Hinge that you did like? more or did not like, you know, about that one? What was that? Yeah. I just, um, I don't know. I felt like the quality of guys that I was meeting, they were, they were just nice guys. I felt like I connected well with them. Um, there was a couple guys that like, obviously like we just didn't click, but they were just really nice guys. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I think it's cause I think hinge is the one. And now I can't remember cause I haven't even been on it in like 11 months. I think Hinge is the one that like the women have to reach out first. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember. I think that's Bumble, but. Oh, maybe it is Bumble. See, I get them confused. <laughs> I was doing them both. I can't, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I probably like Hinge better because that's where the guy that I've been dating for the past 11 months. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, t- so you did find him on Hinge. Yes. And that was already 11 months ago? Yeah. It'll, it'll be 11 wow. months at the end of this month. Yeah. It's been a while okay. now. So, um, I actually, like I said, I was having like multiple dates and one day I was doing that like once a week (laughs) and I was just so exhausted from it. I was so tired of it. And so I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm deleting that app. I was literally going to delete it. Like, which one did I talk about? (laughs) Like having like a spreadsheet of like, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? You gotta, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was literally going to delete it that day. I was like, that's it. Like, I'm tired of this. I'm going to delete it. And then this cute guy like sent me a message and was like, Hey, like, da da da. we just started talking and we went on, I was actually supposed to go on a date with another guy, but I just wasn't feeling it. And so I ended up canceling on that guy. I told him like my kid was sick or something. And then I called up this guy and I was like, Hey, like I got, you want to go to lunch? Like I got some free time and we went to have lunch and like, it was like love at first sight. We had really awesome. fun time and he was just really awesome and we just connected really well and uh, so friend. great yeah so great so I, I want to ask you this though about with having him meet the kids because this is a question that comes up a lot mm-hmm. you know how soon is too soon or how did you kind of weigh that out with introducing him so for me um because I have my kids all the time. So it's hard. Like, I feel like you kind of have to meet them early. Cause it's like, I couldn't wait three or six months. He, then I feel like I would never see him. 
So when I kind of just realized that I had a keeper, that he was a really good guy, um, I just had him over to the house for dinner and met the kids and him and my kids got along great. And yeah. So it's probably like within the first couple of weeks, month, something like that. Yeah. I would say maybe a month, month and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had gone out a couple of times and chatted on the phone and had like some FaceTime because it was during COVID too. So there wasn't really a whole lot, you know, a lot of places were closed. So like I said, we would just, we would have FaceTime dates or, um, you know, we did go to lunch a couple of times, took the dogs to dog beach, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy for you. That is so, that's so exciting. It's so exciting. 11 months. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> I know, I know. But I do want you to tell us also about the, um, the meditation albums on iTunes that you did and the yeah. other ones that you did too on there too. Like, let's um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, okay. So prior to losing my husband, um, I basically, I would help people. I was an emotional energy coach. So I would help people just to, like live happier and healthier. Um, I'm certified in 13 different modalities. So hypnosis, meditation, Reiki, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, aroma freedom technique. I can go on and on, but a lot of different um, techniques that I was using prior to this. And so it was very helpful for me on my journey for myself and my children to have these tools you know, to help us heal. And so one of the things I did was I would record um, hypno meditations. So I have two other albums that are like on iTunes and Spotify. One is for prenatal uh, pregnancy and labor. The other one is just for like everyday, like stress and um, helping with sleep and anxiety and things like that. And then because I'd already done those before, I was recording myself some albums or something that wasn't an album yet. Obviously I was recording like some tracks that I would like play at night when I would go to sleep. Um, and so then I decided, well, I already have two other albums. Like there's obviously other people that are experiencing grief, trauma, and loss. And so, um, basically just repackaged those into an album and I have all three of them are on Amazon music, iTunes, and Spotify. So yeah, it's called grief to gratitude, healing through grief, loss, and trauma. Okay. So we will put a link to that in the show notes today. Excuse me. Tell us the name of that again. Grief to gratitude. Grief to gratitude, healing through grief, loss, and trauma. Okay. Awesome. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for coming on today. I know there's so many other things that we could chat about, but I don't want to take up your whole day. Um, I, I feel like, you know, you're handling things with your background and everything that you have, all of these tools in your toolkit, your it's everything is helping you and you're able to, you know, put that use towards helping other people with this meditation album and things like that. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I thank think it you. is. Thank you. So thank you so much for talking to us and sharing all of your experience and, um, And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Here are the takeaways from Victoria. Number one, when Victoria's husband, Marcus, told her he was having thoughts of taking his own life in January 2019, they immediately sought help together. Victoria says it takes six to eight weeks to get an appointment with a psychiatrist. Number two. 
our mental health system is lacking. This kind of necessary help needs to be available immediately. Their only option was to be admitted to the psych ward, which Marcus did willingly to get help right away. Number three, Marcus shot himself in the family's garage on May 23rd, 2019. Number four, if a person has that suicidal thought in their head, all it takes is a moment of despair plus a moment of opportunity to make an irreversible, life-changing decision. Number five, Victoria had so many signs and messages from Marcus after he passed away, always seeing butterflies, messages from different mediums that came to her, and his favorite number showing up everywhere. Number six, she started dating about three months after Marcus died, and she told me that that decision was partially because she was angry. She was angry that Marcus had left her. Number seven, Victoria is an emotional energy coach. She helps people live happier and healthier, and she's certified in 13 different modalities, including hypnosis, meditation, Reiki. So for those experiencing grief, trauma, and loss, Victoria has created a meditation album on Amazon Music, Spotify, and iTunes, and it's called Grief to Gratitude, Healing Through Grief, Loss, and Trauma. You know, it's like Victoria said, suicide has such a stigma around it, leaving the surviving spouse and family to feel so much guilt and shame and anger. It's a moment of despair plus a moment of opportunity, and that's all it takes. So if you know of someone who is in need of help and having suicidal thoughts, please seek help. And the number you can call to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. If you need help and you don't know where to turn to, they also have over 160 crisis centers in the United States. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. I really hope that this episode was helpful to you. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always email me at jen at widow180.com. You can DM me on Insta at widow180. And join our Facebook group, that's Widow 180 Community, and we can chat in there. Also, please subscribe to our new YouTube channel, that's Widow 180, the channel, to get our latest videos and tips and advice there. And be sure to tell a friend about this episode. If you know of someone who has been through, you know, the same experience with suicide like Victoria, so they can know they're not alone. That's it for me. Until next week, believe in the possibilities. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community, on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, How to Get Your Life Back Together After Loss, a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.